You're listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, Tony, you know this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand down, Rico. This is my man, Chris. How's it going, Tony? Hey, who's this tough guy in the suit behind you? Oh, yeah. He's just my new bodyguard. Since I'm now on the elevated status within the barcode environment, I need to be sure I'm fully protected in transit and at rest. Understood. I don't want to see anything happen to you. Hey, Tony. Oh, hey, Danielle. How you been? What can I get you? You know what? I think I'll have that encrypted drink I had last time. That was so good. Although, I can't seem to remember the name of it. Encrypted drink? What's that? Oh, yeah, it's a special drink around here. And only when you add the right ingredients together, it deciphers a code that's written on the side of the glass. And, more importantly, it's so delicious. I gotta see this. Make that, too. Yeah, you got it. Just keep it on the down low. It's called... Two ounces peach and bourbon liqueur, two ounces vodka, six ounces orange juice. Combine the peach and bourbon liqueur, vodka, and orange juice in a highball glass containing exactly two ice cubes. No more, no less. Stir it, and as you can see, the secret message is revealed in plain text. Oh my God! Mine says free drink. It does not get any better than this. Mine just says no value. Oh, well, at least it tastes excellent. Tony, it's break time. Let's go. All right, got to run. Two of those drinks. We'll see you next round. Prander Das, CEO and founder of Sotero, is an experienced executive with a demonstrated history of success in the information technology and services space. He is an expert in crafting innovative technology solutions that align with business goals of enterprise-level clients. He and his company, Sotero, are on a mission to reimagine data security for the digital economy. Prander, welcome to Barcode, sir. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. So I'd first like to ask about your background and your evolution into cybersecurity and the data protection space specifically. Would you mind talking us through your journey? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, Chris, my background is in marketing technology. And what I mean by that is enabling organizations to collect, store, and act on their customers' information to build better relationships. So when you imagine the, the large corporations that collect millions, if not billions, of transactional information from their customers to be able to better uh, a message to them, better target them, better personalize the interaction, that's what I grew, that's the industry in the world that I grew up in, enabling companies to better uh, build better relationships uh, on a, on a, on a, for commercial or monetization uh, purposes. Uh, so why security, right, from there? I mean, I'm on the marketing side, which if you think about it, is all about monetizing or in a, a coarse way, exploiting information. Um, there's a personal uh, angle to this as well. I was one of the many people impacted in, in a data breach. Um, and the results were pretty dramatic. They, uh, I had a 
tax return filed in my name. I had credit card account application submitted, and I had a bank account open to my name. So kind of scrambling to take care of those things um, once I kind of got ahead of those. My next thought was, hey, in my job, I actually help manage billions of consumer records that have sensitive information on them that is being stolen. What can I do to better protect this data, to better protect information and help companies build a more trusting relationship or partnership with their customers? So that was the the starting point for this journey into cybersecurity. Uh, That quickly led into limitations of uh, today's or existing data security approaches and products. And uh, along with my co-founder and partner, we started to imagine what could be done if we could come up with a better way for helping companies secure data while still being able to operate on it. What we didn't want to do is build a security product that limited access and limited usability of data, right? functionality of data, because that has been the bane historically of data-focused security products. It's about how do you limit access and how do you limit use of the data? We wanted to take a different approach and say, hey, what about a, a, a solution that enables both security as well as the ability to use the data confidently? So that was the genesis, and that's the reason why I got into cybersecurity. Very interesting. And, and there's definitely a need for that, for sure. You mentioned that you know this all spawned off of the fact you were involved in a data breach once. You know I was involved in one once, and data breaches ransomware, insider threats. These are all headlines that you're seeing in the media now more often. And I think more and more people are in the same situation that we were. Data is absolutely the the crown jewels within any organization. And that's regardless of size, industry, or the, the mission. It can potentially lead to immeasurable damage and it can cripple an organization in one second. I think that's about how long it takes for a left mouse click to occur. You know, one vulnerability exploited could could be game over for an entire organization. So protecting data is is very crucial. And it's in the crosshairs of an attacker scope. I think data seems to be the first target. In your perspective, is this what a security program should be primarily focused on? And if so, how can an organization realign their current defensive operations if that is not their focus? The very short answer, Chris, is yes. That's what organizations should be focused on. Uh, You alluded to data driving today's economy, right? Whether it's and mostly digital because that's where everything is evolving to. Um, And you also alluded to the constant headlines of all kinds of threats, whether it's ransomware or a breach or or any kind of a hack, right? The fundamental challenge are a couple of things. One is the, the sheer volume of data that is being generated in, in today's uh, uh, world. Practically every interaction generates some kind of a meaningful data set. And most of them have sensitive attributes related to that data set, PII, PHI, whatever it is, right? Organizations architect their solutions in an environment where data generation was not nearly as rapid as it is today. It was also architected in a, in a world where technology really hadn't evolved to the, to the level that it has today. And there's good and bad to it. The positive side of that technology evolution is very simply the cloud, 
and the services that the cloud has enabled. It, in, it helps organizations achieve goals that they couldn't even dream of at a speed that, that nobody thought of was possible. The scale, the speed, the ease, the number of features and functionality that are available uh, as services or platforms is just monumental. And it's driving progress across the entire spectrum, right? Not just technology, just in business and in real life. The flip side or the, the ugly side of that technology evolution is it has put the same tools in the hands of people that are attempting to do wrong things, right? What used to be a one-off or a small set of uh, uh, for teams or a small set of people that had nefarious designs would attempt to hack one or two companies periodically. Now it's an established business, trillions of dollars at stake. So there are countries that are building economies around this whole business. We've all heard of the story of one country that uses hacking and, and uh, a data theft to drive their economy, right? So that's, that's the ugly side of it. Unfortunately, what has not kept up with this technology evolution is security. And security still is based on the old design of protect the perimeter, which is like, let's try to keep people up without realizing that the number of entry points for anybody to come into a, a, an environment or an ecosystem or a network has just multiplied by magnitudes. So it's really not practical. That's, that's what just should be one aspect of the solution. Then you go over to what, what are organizations trying to protect? It's the data, right? That's been the, the last thing that has evolved in terms of data security. It's still a legacy product based around this notion of encrypt data and you're safe, but it's not really the case because encrypted data is only safe when no one's using it. When people try to use it, it has to be decrypted because there's no way to operate on encrypted data. And that's the big vulnerability that we are closing. And what we wanted to do is build a product that can scale, that can adapt itself to whether it's a legacy architecture or an emerging architecture, or even help in the transition from a legacy state to a, to a, to a new, newer one, whether it's in the cloud or some other uh, uh, platform that companies want to adopt. So that was the, the, that was the way we visualized the solution, and that's the way we architected the, the offering. Excellent. And you mentioned just the overwhelming volume of data right now. And with the sheer volume of data that you see also comes with a sheer volume of data security products that are trying to solve that problem. And the security stack is reaching new verticals constantly. And I think a lot of customers get lost in the lingo sometimes. They're experiencing vendor fatigue, trying to filter out the snake oil from the valuable solutions, uh, while at the same time, trying to determine what's manageable for them and the personnel resources that they have. So my next question is, how would you approach this concern that organizations have uh, to help guide them to a holistic data protection approach while eliminating the confusion in the market? Well, you bring up a great point, right? I mean, vendor fatigue is, is real. Yeah, the confusion that security organizations have created in the market is just unbelievable. Uh, and it's it's a result of one thing, right? Many, many vendors sell on this fear, on the notion of fear. If you don't do this, your business is going to, you're going to lose your business, right? That's one thing. And second is because of the complexity of the technology stack, they claim to do everything and anything. 
just depending on what situation they're trying to sell into. But really, products have been focused very narrowly on small segments of solution. There's not been a holistic approach of saying, what do we, what can we provide organizations and, and to use this and be able to scale on, on this solution as a platform, right? That not just uh, applies to one uh, instance, but applies broadly to all of the instances that the, the organization uses, whether it's a technology development stack or development technologies or data storage technologies. When you talk about organizations needing to reimagine what they ought to do, what we tell folks is, hey, we designed this problem with one thing in mind. It was, if you're trying to protect data, we want to start helping you protect data. Everything else is is needed. There's a lot of other uh, pieces that are needed to provide a holistic solution, but you have to start thinking about data first and then build on top of that. And, And... I think taking taking a step back and saying, what, what, where should we start with our security uh, posture, which should be data. And when you think about protecting data, let's look at a solution that enables us to continue to use the data in a safe and secure way, and then build on top of that. Data first. Data I, I first. like that. Yeah. I like that. One thing I've noticed across multiple industries when tracing the generation of data is that core business processes don't include data security controls. And often uh, security products are retrofitted to circumvent or repair sensitive data workflows post-mortem. My belief is that this is due to the complexity of the deployment or implementation, as well as just a general fear from the organization of performance hits or workflow impact. Is it possible to embed data protection into business processes without disruption and have it appear seamless to end users. Absolutely. And that's a key part of the the product design objective or the design goals that we put in place. Because if you think about it, when I mentioned my background in, in marketing as the CTO, I was the buyer. I was on the flip side of buying these products from many vendors. And I'm very familiar with the disruption the, the missed promises that products cause. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I have scars to prove it as well. So one of the things we put in place was, hey, we have to design a product that minimizes, if not eliminates disruption on business processes, right? And also performance, right? I mean, if you think about a website that has thousands of users at any given time, introducing any kind of a latency, or friction into the buying process causes them to lose revenue. And that's not acceptable, right? So we designed the product to be minimally invasive in that we didn't want to force any changes on applications, um, but we also wanted to provide the level of performance that businesses need to, to operate. Business processes partly are uh, based on humans being familiar and comfortable with an established process, right? So any kind of a change is viewed as disruptive, whether it's physical change or, or a process change. There has to be some amount of openness in adopting newer technologies and say, hey, the value that the business derives from this deployment or from adopting this product is well worth the disruption that it causes, whether it's perceived or real. Sure, absolutely. So recently, 
we heard about the Acelion breach. And for those that don't know, many organizations and government entities have acknowledged that they were compromised due to vulnerabilities contained within Acelion's legacy software. And one of the unfortunate victims being the Washington State Auditor's Office, who had to notify unemployed workers that their benefit claim information may have been compromised. How can organizations protect the legacy software without having to recode or rebuild applications, even if they know it's not designed with security in mind, but maybe business critical? Chris, you, that's, that's a great question. Um, it actually touches on two different uh, aspects that, that people don't really think about. But first, the pain that it causes on, on folks that are already hurting is just unimaginable, right? You said unemployed, uh, unemployment is rampant right now. And what this has stacked on top of that for, the, for those unfortunate people is really unfortunate. Back to the two points that the Acelion um, event exposes. One is the blind assumption that a third-party security software or a third-party service provider or product provider is secure, right? And, and you think about that in the context of the amount of data that's shared between organizations in a vendor partner or partner partner ecosystem is just monumental, right? So far, data security has just focused on protecting an operational data set that's within their control, within an organization's control. Nobody has kind of taken, has taken a step back and said, how can I retain control of my data in somebody else's platform or in, in somebody else's hands? That's the, the leap that organizations have to do, right? I mean, if you truly want to build a trusting relationship with your uh, customers, with your clients, you need to be in control of that data regardless of where it is. And, and that's the kind of a product that you, you need to look at and say, even if I have to use a third-party service provider, right, uh, or a third-party platform, I still want, to, want an environment where my data is secure and it's in my control, regardless of what kind of controls and security that the, the third-party provides. You spoke about legacy. And, and that's a common reason you hear for a lot of different things, not just security, right? I mean, if you don't have features, if you don't have functionality, if your business is not moving fast enough, it's often blamed on legacy software. It is true. Legacy software imposes certain restrictions just because of the, the feature sets are the thing. That's where the cloud adoption has become so rampant because you can get over that in one hump. But legacy software doesn't mean you, you shouldn't worry about securing data. It's absolutely critical that you figure out a way and you, there are products. That's the kind of company we are. Protect data regardless of what platform it's in. Legacy, modern, emerging, it doesn't matter. But that's, that's the kind of product and that's the kind of mindset organizations have to, to adopt to truly uh, stay in control of the data. 100%. And when I think legacy, my mind goes straight to the healthcare industry. You know, you have medical devices, legacy systems, or proprietary systems that run third-party software in hospitals. That's a huge risk. So being able to still protect that data flow is critical. It, it, to that point, to uh, Chris, I mean, I will make one last uh, observation on that. Sure. Um, even though, I mean, like you said, medic, the medical uh, industry is rampant with proprietary platforms that dominate the space, right? There's only a handful of them. They're all the 800-pound gorillas in that space. Uh, 
The good news is that the whole, what has happened in the last several years is the emergence of APIs or interaction uh, frameworks, right? That enables data security controls to be put in place, even if it's a legacy platform support provided by a vendor that isn't necessarily uh, amenable to change. And, and that also works for legacy, that works certainly for legacy product, but it also works for a lot of the, the cloud-based services. The good news is it's becoming an open environment where APIs and other interfaces are provided to interact. So there is the framework uh, to, to stay, remain in control and keep your data secure, even if it's not in your own uh, uh, platform. Understood. Understood. And, and these are all issues that Sotero has set out to solve. Talk to me a little bit about Sotero. And I guess my first question right off the bat is, is what is the meaning of Sotero and how did you come up with the name? So if you think about what we were trying to do is secure data, right? And Sotero derives from the Greek goddess of safety. We Ah. wanted to be the savior of data, or we wanted to be what organizations thought of when they wanted to secure data. I like it. Yeah, data flows so rapidly today, and making sure it's safe is is very important. And, you know, there's internal workflows, external workflows, authorized, unauthorized. How can Sotero help secure data involved with these many workflows in an organization without the overhead? All great questions, Chris. I mean, I'll start with the basic premise of what we do at Sotero. Unlike legacy encryption products, which keep data encrypted while at rest, but decrypt them or stage them in plain text for uh, operations and use, we actually keep data encrypted while it's in use. So there is no need to keep the data to decrypt the data for access and use. That's the core premise on which the technology stack is built. Um, we also spoke about non-disruptive thing. One of our uh, we set a, a couple of key objectives as we were co- conceptualizing the product and the offering. And our experiences, my experience being on the buyer side of things, was very critical in that. And we said it should be a non-invasive, non-disruptive deployment process which meant a couple of things. One is don't expect applications to change because organizations have little uh, appetite or in some cases, no control if it's a commercial application, right? They don't own the code. <clears throat> so we said no changes on the application side, no uh, performance uh, latencies that, that would uh, hurt the business process. That was one thing. The other objective that we set in place was, hey, there are a lot of technology stacks that are in use right? We're not going to go dictate that you have to adopt a particular technology data stack or a data store for you to to use. We will work with any data store that exists out there. Then you spoke about workflows. There are many kinds of workflows. There's transactional workflows, high volume, uh, high volume, high frequency workflows. There's analytic workflows. There's uh, uh, data in motion, uh, when you think about something like IoT environments, these IoT devices are streaming data at unbelievable rates. So we said we want to create a product or a framework that is ap- applicable to all of these. So multi-database uh, uh, technology support, uh, non-invasive uh, deployment, either in the form of a ODBC, JDBC driver or an API interface that can be integrated. We can uh, plug into uh, streaming services so that the data is encrypted as soon as it's collected and never exposed throughout its uh, uh, life cycle. We can support 
multi-petabyte analytic warehouses without impacting the security or the privacy, but enabling those uh, analytics uh, and, and research to be performed at scale. We also said, what's the other big uh, uh, area where data is uh, exposed? It's when organizations get together to share data, whether it's for research, analytics, enhancement, appends, enrichment, name it. So we also can adopt this notion of enabling a secure data sharing or a clean room. So we enable multiple organizations or multiple parties to co-mingle their data and then operate research, run analytics and analysis on the data set without the need for either parties to decrypt or view that player, the sensitive attributes in the data set. Uh, so that's the holistic view of how Sotero can plug into existing uh, workflows and existing technology stacks. Very interesting. Let me ask you about cloud then. How does Sotero enable security within the cloud? Great question, Chris. One of the first things that uh, senior technical and technology and uh, security executives ask themselves when they're considering a cloud platform or cloud services, how is my data going to be secure? Even if I assumed that the eventual uh, target or uh, place where the data lands is considered secure, how do I get my data from an on-premise environment to the cloud? So what we did with Sotero is we actually built the migration platform that enables organizations to uh, securely move data. And what I mean by that is the data is encrypted as it's being extracted from that on-premise environment. So there is no point in time that the data is exposed at all throughout its uh, thing. Uh, the second question you asked me about the cloud, uh, how do we enable cloud uh, security in the cloud? Uh, what we have done is developed our own SaaS offering in addition to providing container deployments that are either on-premise or in the cloud VPC for a client. We also provide our own uh, platform as a SaaS service. What I mean by that is it's a transactional pass-through service where they own the keys, no data stored, but it does the encryption and the the provisioning for the clients. We do the load uh, management, we do the the failover, we do the fail-safe, we manage the upkeep of the platform. So they have nothing to worry about other than just using the platform and not worrying about what happens if my load doubles tomorrow. What happens if I see two times the data that I'm pushing in today? None of that matters because we automatically scale and address all of that. On the back end of the platform, we natively support every database storage technology in the clouds. So we have adapters. Mm -hmm. Let's say if you're going to use an RDS service, great, we can give you that. If you're using a proprietary database stack that's deployed in the cloud as a service, great, we can let you connect to that. So we take away the worries about data migration from an on-premise environment. We also take away the worries about load management and scale and performance. Finally, we take away the worry about what target database they're gonna use. We impose no control. We say, you choose the platform that's best for you. We'll support you in that. Excellent. Where can our listeners go to find out more about the features, the architecture, or just to ask questions about the capability of Sotero? Like every uh, uh, other uh, organization, the simplest thing is to go to our website, which is www.soterosoft.com or send us an email at info at soterosoft.com. 
we'd be happy to to engage with you, uh, help you understand the product better, and help you uh, uh, see a demo, and maybe even do a, a product evaluation. Definitely. I think you're absolutely right. This is something that's needed. I think it's something that's overlooked. And if you can protect that data and make it seamless to the user, I think that's that's gold. That's our goal, uh, Chris. What we want to do is build Sotero to be the name that organizations think of when they think of data security. And when they use Sotero, we want them to be confident and comfortable that their data is secure. So as we transition to a post-pandemic world and folks start congregating again in public and in bars, you may start to see COVID vaccine tracking systems or immunity cards for entry into public establishments. Uh, What would be your message to these establishments to ensure patrons feel comfortable? And on the flip side, what should patrons be aware of when this becomes a requirement? I think from an establishment perspective, the simple message to them is adopt a technology that keeps your patron status secure, right? More so than any other business, the the entertainment and the food and uh, uh, beverage business is built on trusting relationships. The last thing you want to do is violate that by being frivolous or being uh, 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 careless about the data that you're collecting. There are ways to either engage with partners, vendors that provide a secure way of collecting and tracking the data, or there's also ways where you can validate the user and their credentials, but never store the data. There are two approaches. And I, I mean, establishments should be really cautious about getting this, especially given the amount of hurt that they've gone through. Right as you try to rebuild your business, build it on trust. You you don't want to jeopardize it again, right? From a patron's uh, from a patron's going into a thing, I mean that's one of the first things you want to 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 validate is that there should be some way to to validate the credentials of an establishment and their data collection storage uh, mechanism. Uh, make sure that they're not sharing or selling your data to generate additional uh, revenue, right? I mean. What we're talking about is highly personal, sensitive data, medical history. So, I mean, I think this needs to be caution. Uh, there needs to be some framework for both parties to validate that they collect data securely, store it securely, and for patrons to feel comfortable that the establishment has signed up to do things the right way. I agree. Do you see it eventually becoming governed by a regulatory body? I think so. Um, I, I, I absolutely, there will be regula- uh, regulations around this, but because this is not just establishment, we're also talking about travel, international travel, mm-hmm. a whole host of areas. I mean, maybe even workplaces, right? I mean, as our companies open up again, there sh- there will be regulation. The the question is, will the regulations be fast enough, and will they be comprehensive enough? That's always the challenge with regulation. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. As things continue to start opening and you may see these immunity passports coming into play, a lot of people are going to get back into the bar scene. And I'm just curious, you know, it's no secret that even if you get into a bar or into a restaurant, people tend to leak data uh, that result in risk and liability to, to themselves and their information. 
in your opinion, when you're out and about or you're at a bar, what do you see as the biggest risk to data security in a social atmosphere like that? And can establishments do a better job at protecting the data of their patrons? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, like you said, uh, a, sit- a situation in a bar or a, a social gathering where in- inhibitions are lowered leads to a lot of talk, right? And, and what customers or individuals need to realize is that the bad actors don't need a whole lot of your information. They just need bits and snippets that they're really good at stitching together into a scheme, right? That's how this thing works because you're thinking, I mean, if I just gave somebody my name and my phone number, that shouldn't matter. All right. But they're really smart. The social uh, uh, hacking is really smart. The, is the social engineering aspect of it is they use those bits of pieces to continue to build a profile, yep. right? That's what, it, and, and, and the only way to counter that is awareness. And there's also a generational issue here, right? I mean, the old, the prior generations grew up really respecting privacy, mm-hmm. right? And, and their own information. That's not so true with the, uh, with the, uh, the advent of social media platforms and all of those interactions thing. The bar for what's considered sensitive or private has fallen pretty dramatically. I think an awareness campaign of even the smallest things that you could share in a crowded setting or in a social gathering could come back to hurt you has to happen. And I think it's up to the to the establishments to make sure that patrons are aware as they're mingling or as interacting to be very cautious about what they say, what they do, and who they who they say it to. Great point. It's very critical, I, I believe. That's a great point. And you're right. It's, it's become a data sharing era where it's an afterthought. So I just heard last call here at the bar. Do you have time for one more? Absolutely, Chris. Okay. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. I would probably name the bar Clean Room. I like that. For a signature drink, I'd probably call it Scrambled Message. <laughs> would the recipe be encrypted or would you be able to know what's in it? I think we would have to, to provide the recipe just to make pe- people comfortable that there's nothing nefarious about it. <laughs> but uh, the whole notion of keeping data secure, I think Scrambled Message kind of plays on that uh, notion. Definitely, definitely. Or maybe you can encrypt it, but then somewhere within the bar, there's the key. But then people, then, then people would just get frustrated that they can't get their drink fast enough. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, we'll have to look into that for sure. I think that would be a hit. And uh, where, where are you located? Uh, we're in Burlington. Nice okay. Place. So would you build it in Burlington or, you know, or, or Boston? Um, I, I would build in Burlington. Burlington. I don't know if you've been uh, been to been to Burlington these days. This place has evolved from being a sleepy little uh, 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 town with maybe two restaurants to having practically every restaurant that you can think of. Wow! Um, it is a destination food place now. What's the nightlife scene there? You said it's building up. Do you have a lot of cool bars there? Or any yeah. any cool speakeasies or secret bars that that we should yeah, be aware I mean, of? Let me put it this way: I think there's been maybe 20 restaurants opened in Burlington over the last four or five years. Oh, man. 
Um, maybe not as cool as the Boston scene because they target the. I mean, Burlington targets the family uh, audience as well. Gotcha. But you do see this also. What what plays into that is this a ton of offices, really large companies, right? We sit between um, Microsoft on one side and Oracle on the other. So there's a the younger uh, uh, working crowd that heads to the restaurants and bars. They're all. I mean, they are packed. Every restaurant that opens up is packed, and I'm like, "How do they find these people?" <laughs> that's that's where you want to be, though. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining me today and and sharing your expertise on data protection and Sotero. I have the links I'm going to post on the website and really direct people to at least check out the service, check out the solution. It it sounds very cutting edge, and it not a lot of organizations are doing what you're doing. Putting data first is is always number one in my book. So I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. And I look forward to catching up with you at some point at a real bar. Absolutely. Chris, first of all, thank you for having, having me. This was a great conversation. I appreciate you giving, us the, the, giving me the time to talk to you and share with you what we're doing. Absolutely look forward to catching up with you in a bar. All right. Sounds great. You, uh, you be safe. Take care. You as well. Barcode patrons. If you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit the barcodepodcast.com slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.